Welcome to Countertop Conversations. I'm Anna. And I'm Katie. And today's episode, we're going to be talking about things um, that pertain to non-academics. So we're going to talk about our sports, um, what it's like in create, like how our creative outlets, um, and yeah. Yeah. So kind of just a more open conversation this time. We don't have as dead set of a topic. Um, Yes. Start with sports, I guess. Yeah. Um, I can start. Growing up, I played a bunch of different sports. Um, I did mostly gymnastics, dance, and track. Um, I love all three. Um, But, I mean, being a VIPOC person in gymnastics and dance especially, because there's less representation, was often hard. Um, Dance especially. Because I did competitive dance for, I don't know how many years, a couple years. And there's so many things about it that are very white-centric. From, like, tight, the color of tights. To um, the way you have to wear your hair. To, I don't know, like, you know, there's so many pieces. And just, like, technique stuff. Because I did ballet, and so... Ballet is, and the way it's taught is designed for skinny white girl bodies. <laughs> um, people who have curves are curves are often excluded from the ballet world and the dance world a lot, um, which is changing obviously as it should. But I mean, growing up, yeah, yeah, it was definitely noticeable. I think I had a very similar like experience. I never did dance. I was, I was bad at that. I did not have the coordination to do it, but I definitely played a bunch of sports that um, I would definitely be the only minority on the team. Mm. Um, I remember for a period of time, the area that we were in didn't have a lot of women's or like girls' teams, mm. so I ended up having to play with like boys' teams. Um, like, that's how I started playing basketball. That's how I started playing baseball. Right. And just, you know, that that experience in itself was just, like, from the uniforms to the way, like, even, like, in high school, if you, like, wore makeup, that was seen as, like, something as, like, mm-hmm. like looked upon, like, oh, you're, like, less, as you're not as good as mm-hmm. you should be, you know, because you wear makeup or right. something. Um, but then again, like, my race really came into that, because I don't think people really see Asians and think, like, oh, they're an athletic race, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. the stereotype for Asians is, like, oh, they're academically smart. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you're talking about makeup, that made me think of, like, all the sports I'm in, or I was in, um, it was, like, wearing makeup was completely okay and sometimes encouraged. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously for dance, we had to wear stage makeup. Mm-hmm. But in gymnastics, like even when you look at college level and um, professional level gymnastics, they'll wear makeup. Yeah. And then in track, a lot of female track athletes wear makeup. Yeah. Um, and are known for having like a look. And I don't know, I've never been the person to wear makeup. I've never been the person to be in that. But mm-hmm. um I mean, I noticed the difference more in, like, yeah. dance than any other sport mm-hmm. because it wasn't, like, mandatory that you wear makeup anywhere else, but... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed it, like, in um, basketball and starting to play rugby mm. or being, like, a bit more, like, self-conscious about it because I, I pretty much wear makeup every day. Right. Um, and so it's, like, it got to the point where, like, people would say something, like, oh, like, nice, like nice face or whatever, you know, it's just like, oh, like, I don't know, it's, it's weird because there's so many, like, different expectations in different mm-hmm. sports and different, um, stereotypes and stuff, right. like, like, you already think, like, oh, like, if you think of volleyball, you have this yeah. idea, or if yep. you think badminton, I don't know, that was a random ass sport, but, but yeah, but you know, ideas like, about what yeah. people look like and mm-hmm. how they act and move in every sport, yeah. And I yeah. think it's so interesting, and, like, for me, I haven't, like, I was never the kid who had one sport and mm-hmm. grew up with that one sport. Mm-hmm. 
I was always like Doing trying different things, things, seeing which sport I liked. <coughs> um, and so I think that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And now like coming to college, I think for me to get from where I was for like low contact sports, mm-hmm. now I'm playing like a full contact sport. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because the dynamic that I have with the other teams, like and the team of like my met like teammates mm-hmm. is so different than how I was interacting with other teams in high school or other yeah. teams in like middle school. Yeah. Like and I mean specifically like with the other women or the other girls mm-hmm. on the other teams. How like how is it different? How do you feel that it's different? Um, well primarily like for me when I played basketball, I'm not tall. Uh-huh. So like <laughs> I was playing like a small forward at like 115 pounds. Like I was not supposed to be playing the position I was playing. Um, But like, you know, like the stink eye that you get from other girls Mm -hmm. on teams, the like not getting along with your teammates because of some this or that drama or, you know, something that's happening. And I feel like, I I feel like it still happens, Mm -hmm. but it's just kind of like, I feel like a lot of us, we're also a D3 school, so mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of us are just kind of like recognizing that, like, why do I need to necessarily have beef or right. fuel this beef? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting to see, like, hear about different issues on different teams here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know for myself, like, I try as much as I can to stay out of drama on my own team just because... I I love my teammates. Mm-hmm. I think they're great. Um, and I have so much love and respect for all of them. But at the same time, um, I'm not really close friends with any of them, mm-hmm. which is okay with me. Um, I don't really hang out with any of them outside of practice, but that's we're in different circles. Mm-hmm. Most of my teammates are white. Most of them are in um, a sorority. Um, and we're just in different circles. We're in different spaces. And... Mm-hmm. I found that I almost prefer that yeah, over because like in high school on the gymnastics team, I hung out with my teammates all the time. We were always together mm-hmm. and it was great, but I think I don't think I could do that now. Mm-hmm. And especially being at a PWI, especially being um, one of the only black girls or BIPOC women on the team, it's sometimes exhausting to be there all the time. And I... Um, sometimes feel like the issues that are ha- like some of the drama or like little issues that are happening on the team are so irrelevant mm-hmm. when I feel like I'm um, there's so many bigger things going on mm-hmm. I think that's sometimes nice though <clears throat> about with the girls on teams like your teammates is because you go and you go to practice and you go to games and you enjoy right. that like, right. you know but you're all kind of like coming from different circles Mm -hmm. so you're kind of just coming because of the sport right and And it's nice to to enjoy like yeah camaraderie and have a focus on one thing and to be able to all share a space like that yeah Um, like i've seen you at meet days and like yeah those are like great days like tournament days so fun so nice and it's great and i get excited because i'm excited to be there with my team because you train with them you Mm -hmm. spend so much time with them you see the growth all that and then to be able to share that space. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's really nice to have different spaces with different people. Um, because, uh, hold on. <coughs> Sorry, allergies are killing me this year. Um, but it's so nice to have different people in different spaces because you get to like move between those spaces mm-hmm. and move between different things. Um, yeah. And I feel like this is something we talked about, how, like, we are, the two of us are involved in so many things on campus. Yeah. And we're in... Different circles. Sports. Different we're in, like, more politic-oriented things. We're in so-an-oriented things. Um, social justice stuff. Like, there's, yeah. like, stuff with, with our house, with cow. Mm-hmm. There's so many different circles and spaces that we're in. Mm-hmm. And navigating those can be really hard, but it's also... 
it's kind of cool yeah. to have so many different places you can go to, so many different um, environments you can be in. Mm-hmm. I think for me, like something that I more realized as I grew up is that you don't necessarily need one person for everything. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that I'm really appreciative that I learned because I have met so many more people because of that. Mm-hmm. But also like recognizing that not everybody can offer literally everything. Right. Like you can't. Like I, right. I definitely can't. Like that's true. So, I think having people for the right kind of vibe or the right mm-hmm. kind of like mm-hmm. situation is really important. And I'm not saying that like that's a bad thing. Right. But it's something that gives diversity and like, mm-hmm. gives more of an experience. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um. I agree with that. I think it is I think it's it's cool to have spaces where and on a campus like this where everybody is coming from a different space. Like mm-hmm. um when we're in Cal, everybody has such a different background. Oh yeah. Yeah. Everybody has such a different experience that we're able to find common ground, we're able to find like a space of community. Mm-hmm. And the same thing happens on sports teams. Yeah. And the same thing happens in student government or happens in like our workplaces, um, but to see like that crossover is really yeah. is really cool. Yeah, I always think it's so cool to like be like, oh yeah, like now I have a friend who is like abroad or something. Right. Like, that. like it's just so many. Like that's I think um, for how much I like bash on Owu. <laughs> The That's one the one thing, thing I'm so appreciative of some people the that people I've here. Meet. Yeah. The people here are incredible. Some of them, not yeah. so much, but the people <laughs> here are incredible. And we talk about it all the time, how we know yeah. people in every circle. We know yeah. somebody on every team. We know somebody involved in so many different spaces. And, like, yeah, that's something that I really appreciate but appreciate about being at a small school is that you mm-hmm. can really get, get to, to know, know a big range of people. Mm-hmm. Um and with that, like, you enter into new spaces all the time if you put yourself out there and if yeah. you decide to do that. But it's, like, yeah, there's there's so much. There really is, yeah. And, I mean, I've said it before, but we talk about it all the time, how we know so many people on campus. Mm-hmm. And we know so many people in so many groups, but that's also because I feel like we put ourselves in situations where we're in different groups. We put ourselves in different spaces and set up to meet different people mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, I think not enough people take advantage of that. Yeah. Honestly, I think too many people get stuck in their comfort, their comfort zone and in their own spot. And, and I think it happens a lot on sports teams. It happens a lot with clubs. Mm-hmm. It happens a lot with um, different like cultural, ethnic, whatever groups. Yeah, yeah. Um, groups in general, mm-hmm. people get stuck in their space and I think that's something that I don't know it's just so cool to walk on campus and see every second person you see is someone you know yeah and it helps to build community so much more yeah I think also I don't know if you feel this way but because like I was raised by a Caucasian family Mm -hmm. and at a PWI I feel like there's more spaces that I feel more comfortable Mm -hmm. not necessarily comfortable but feel more like at ease walking into versus like, there's definitely some situations where I feel, like, more uncomfortable walking into. Right. Um, as an Asian American who is very much American. Right. I sometimes feel like I can't enter spaces that are predominantly, like, like, like international, international student a- Asians. Student Asians, yeah. Inter- yeah. Asian student, yeah. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just because, uh, I think, that cultural like gap but also because of my American customs and my characteristics and how I was brought up Mm -hmm. and I think that that's really interesting on this campus because while me being Asian opens up different spaces for me Mm -hmm. and like having my white family and those like American tendencies opening up other spaces it feels like some spaces are more close Mm -hmm. to me if that makes sense yeah I get that. It's like what we talked about with the gray zone. Um, yeah. That in between and that being available and mm-hmm. having more space, but also some things being closed off or feeling mm-hmm. less inclusive or less available. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
Do we want to just take a huge shift? <laughs> We're just going to shift it and like go to our creative outlets and yeah, talk about that. Yeah, let's talk about art. Yeah. Do you want me to start? You go, because you're, you're the <laughs> artist that I am. Um, yeah, so I, I, I write. <laughs> um, I use words. Um, I don't know. I've always found um, writing is a very useful tool for me. Mm-hmm. Um, something I joke about a lot, but don't really talk about a lot, is that I was diagnosed with dyslexia and dysgraphia when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was really hard for me. To, it's hard for me to articulate my words sometimes mm-hmm. and say what I'm trying to say. Right. And I'll think I'm saying something, and then I'll say it out loud, and I'm like, that was not it. what I was thinking. <laughs> not quite. And so I think with writing, it was able to like give me that more emphasized voice, that yeah. more impactful voice yeah. to say what I wanted to say. Because um, sometimes I get lost in conversations if there's more than like two people, and I'm like trying mm-hmm. to like trace what who's saying what, and like yeah. what I should say something, or mm-hmm. like... I have something to input, but I don't know when the right place is to say it, or when, like, do I say yeah. it now, do I yeah. not, like, is this mm-hmm. the right time, things like that, and so, um, it's always that, like, second guessing of what yeah. I'm saying, and so because I can see it, and I'm, it's just, like, me in writing, mm-hmm. um, it became a really great way for me to express myself. <coughs> Um, I specifically write poetry because it just makes sense yeah. with the way that my brain works, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's dope. Um, but I think it's interesting because for me growing up, there was no representation mm-hmm. of me in the creative realm. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't grow up having books written by Asians. I didn't have right. books about Asians, I didn't have movies about that, I didn't have TV shows, like anything. Um, and I think it's interesting now that I'm like in my 20s and I see it begin to step into that representation. And it makes me excited for the future generations. Um, but sometimes then it puts pressure on me as a creator mm-hmm. of like, oh, like, does my voice fit into this situation? Oh, interesting. Like, or um, just how do I represent myself while also trying to represent others? Mm. And I think it, I think mm, our our generation's in a weird like bridge between getting to that correct representation and like us growing up in no representation, mm. but now we're starting to get representation, but right. we didn't. So we're the ones representing, but also... But also still looking for that, that representation. representation at the same time. Yeah. Huh. That's really interesting. I never really thought about that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's really interesting because I definitely feel like I have seen myself represented mm-hmm. in small ways, but... I don't know because I, I hear what you're saying and I agree with what you're saying that like I grew up with little representation mm-hmm. um, and as I get older I see more of it um, but it's also it, I, I don't even know like I've never really thought about this before mm-hmm. I've never really thought about that in between space where we are sort of at the forefront of seeing representation, but mm-hmm. also, like like you said, being the representation for somebody else mm-hmm. yeah. and starting to develop that and, and be a part of that creation of representation. Yeah. Because we're going to be the ones who first saw ourselves in movies yeah. and on TV and things like that, but we're going to be the ones who are next creating TV shows and movies and film and music and writing yeah. and things like that and I think our generation understands how important it is and not to say others don't yeah um, but, but we also we see the dynamic yeah we also grew up or not necessarily grew up but sort of as we are getting older we're starting to see it more mm-hmm. and we're like trying to normalize that I feel like I feel like I see that with technology too like mm-hmm. we grew up 
Like, I remember when there was, yeah. like, flip, like, Blackberries, yeah. like, those, like, flip phones. And now I see technology, and I'm like, this is crazy. Like, this, yes. is, this is actually crazy. I that think we can take a class online and, like, no. I think it's so funny that when I see, like, memes or things about people <laughs> who are, like, so we're not going to raise our kids with iPads, right? Uh-huh. Like, our kids like, we're not yes, doing exactly. that. <laughs> like, because so many, like, the people who are younger than us, who mm-hmm. grew up with, with, parents who are now in their 30s or 40s or kids mm-hmm. who are kids of millennials all grow up with iPads. Yeah. They all have phones in their phones. in the stroller with a and big phone? Like, It's what? so strange to me because we yeah. didn't have that. No. And it looks so weird. And, yeah. and I, think, I think also the fact that we started getting phones and things when we were in, like, middle school... Mm-hmm. And the end of elementary school, I think, for me, I can speak for myself and say, I see what that looks like now, and I see how attached we are now, Mm -hmm. and I don't want my middle schooler Mm -hmm. to be on the phone, on having a a smartphone, Mm -hmm. and having that full connection. I don't want my five-year-old with an iPad. Yeah, that's terrible. I don't want my six-year-old with their own phone. I see how bad it is, and and I think about the way I grew up versus... The way, like, like the job that I work at. I work with kids who are fifth grade and younger. Mm-hmm. And I see how attached they are to their phones and how they can't separate from technology. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. I don't want my kids to be like that. Yeah. I don't want my kids to grow up with that attachment, with that, that, and, need, that, that need for it and that, yeah. that reliance on it. And, like the inability to separate from yeah i always think it's so funny because i had a friend this is it's not funny i guess but like my friend had an issue where she her car broke down on the side of the road and her phone was dead and she didn't have she asked to borrow someone's phone but then she realized she doesn't have know her mom's phone number or know like yeah. like her dad's phone number and I was like that's the first thing I learned because I had to I'll be honest I don't know my parents phone numbers I know mine because <laughs> I didn't get a phone until later right because but Me I would either. still go to like sports or clubs right and so I'd like borrow someone's phone I would always have to, parents yeah. I would just my parents were like no we'll be there at this time yeah <laughs> like one time take you ne- up at the end of practice and so. I'd be sitting there, and they'd be like, do you want to call your parents? Do you need a ride? No, no I don't even know my parents' phone number. Yeah. So I know my home phone number. Yeah, but they won't be there. And that's it. They're picking me up. Yeah. That's it. I know my home phone number, and that's it. And yeah. it just had to Apparently trust that my parents are anymore. I, Which yes, throws me off. We're getting rid of, like, ours we barely use, and yeah. I kind of hate it. Yeah. I don't like that we, we got because I remember when though. we had a landline mm-hmm. with that was connected to the wall, mm-hmm. and I remember switching from that to a handheld phone, mm-hmm. still and a landline, but like, like, why do I need a landline? And I was, yeah, yeah, and it's and it's crazy because we don't use ours anymore and it barely works. Mm-hmm. But it's like part of me is like, no, you you have to have a home phone. What do you mean? Yeah, it's just like common sense. <laughs> like if I'm at home, you're gonna call my home phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, we went so off track. Yeah, you know what happens. <laughs> we can, yeah, right. we can, here, I can bridge it back. But basically, because of the effect of technology. No, there we go. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's interesting to show, like, how our society has changed so much because of technology. Yeah. And I hope that with more media representation, this is where I'm linking it. Um, <laughs> more, right here. Yeah, what can I say? Um, with more media representation that you'll see bigger shifts. Yeah. And we it's already being predicted that in the year 2050, the U.S. is going to be basically a multicultural, multiracial... Yeah. Like... Place. Place. Because yeah. of how many, like, interracial marriages mm-hmm. are happening, interracial, like, relationships. Mm-hmm. That's saying you have to get married. Um, and multicultural like cross communications right it's just happening you know there's such a diverse amount of people who live in the united states and it's about time that those people are represented properly because it's this u.s is not just a bunch of like random white people from utah i'm gonna be honest there like it's not you know what i mean and so i think like for me I'm impatient because I want to see that change mm-hmm. and I want to see that representation. Yeah. And I want to be able to see the generations, like college students 
when we're 50, getting to have easier college, mm. getting yeah. to have like... Having professors that look like them. Yeah, just getting to go to college <laughs> to go to college, not having to go to college to solve your college's problems. I'm sorry, oh. but like, come on. Yeah. Come on, Olu. Yeah, hopefully we're in a space where... Or at least pay me to do it tomorrow. <laughs> like, on, seriously. Where's my paycheck? <laughs> at least be... I, and I hope, I hope the same. Mm-hmm. That we are in a place where students are able... BIPOC students, mm-hmm. specifically, are able to experience school, whether it be high school, college, undergrad... I mean... Uh, what's it called? Undergraduate. No, like your next one. Oh, graduate, graduate program. <laughs> oh wow! Undergraduate. What's next? Grad. <laughs> graduate program. Whatever it is, workspace even, but that you're able to be in a space and not feel like it's your responsibility mm-hmm. to call people on their shit mm-hmm. or to hold everybody accountable or to you're not. It's not your job to integrate. Mm-hmm. It's not your job to be the diversity, mm-hmm. because that is such a that's such a burden, yeah. and it's something that you don't really realize, mm-hmm. because I feel like a lot of us not a lot of us but a lot of us who grew up in predominantly white spaces have been doing our whole lives but didn't necessarily know that that's what we're doing yeah. or that's what you're feeling. Yeah. Like, that burden of being the diversity in the space. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah. And I hope that kids don't have to... Deal with that. Deal with that mm-hmm. in the future. And I hope that, like, as... Li- like, I'll bring up the kids that I work with again because I see it with some of the little kids. I see it with a bunch of, like, the girls when they're really young. I see it with the boys, too, but, like, especially the younger ones. Mm-hmm. Um... You can you can see it yeah. that the black kids know that they're the only black kids. Yeah, and it hurts. Yeah, and it it's does. so painful. Cause then you just see yeah yeah, something that has stuck with me since high school. Mm-hmm. My, I want to say it was my sophomore year. I had just transferred to a new high school. Um, I was getting adjusted, like having to like fit in socially. I was walking to school, and as I'm walking to school, someone, like, yelled out of the car and, like, basically started, like, verbally harassing me, calling me, like, racial slurs, and following me in their car. Mm, And it got to the point where I had to, like, stay inside the store until they left, and then I had to still go to school. Mm. And there was no, none of my teachers were BIPOC. Right. So I didn't tell anybody. Because right. I didn't know who I was supposed to tell. Right. So I had to sit through the whole day with dealing, re- dealing with, with that. that before school, in school, but not being able to tell anybody because no one else looked like me. Exactly. No else Nobody else is going to yeah. get it. And like, that sticks with you, you mm-hmm. know? And I think that it's so true in college, too, because everybody... You come to college and they tell you, oh, you're supposed to be like independent, you yeah. know, whatever, whatever. But if you really look at colleges, it's like they see you as masses. Mm-hmm. They don't see you. They don't understand that literally every individual person, whether it's death in the family, mm-hmm. whether it's something that is going on at home. Yeah. Like in Minneapolis. Like, yeah. Like people, people don't re- really recognize yeah. that even though everybody's coming from these all these diverse backgrounds, like look at all our diversity. Mm-hmm. They're, that means that they're going through a diverse amount of different issues. Exactly. And no one addresses Exactly. That. I, I'm, I feel like something that happens so often is, like, people will say, oh, I understand you're going through things. Everybody's going through things. Everybody's busy. Or yeah. um, there will be emails that are like, I just, we understand this is a hard time right now. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> I get that. that and I get sad. everybody's yeah. going through things. But it's also like some of us are going through a little bit more. Are feeling a little bit more. Yeah. And some of us are carrying a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and I, when you were talking about um, how you had to go to school after being yelled at and followed mm-hmm. um, and not feeling like you had anywhere to turn to or any space to turn to because nobody's like you, 
um, I've kind of been feeling that, like, I, that resonates with me, especially in this past semester and in this past year, where so much is going on at home in Minneapolis and in Minnesota in general, but so much is going on at home, and I feel so close and connected to it, but That's at the so same fun. time, there's, it feels like there's nobody on this campus who I can, who remotely understands. Mm -hmm. And I know there are people, there are people who understand, but it's like... To the degree of to being the, from Exactly. From it's state. like I really spent every single day of my summer at a protest, at a volunteering opportunity, at something related to protesting, mm -hmm. police brutality, um, homelessness, and racial injustice, and all, everything within that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then to come here. And it sucks to hear people say, everybody's going through something. Mm -hmm. We're all just busy. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. oh, like, we only have two more weeks. You can do this. Like, push through. You got it. Two weeks is like, I'm fucking drained. Yeah. I'm so exhausted. And it's so much mental and emotional stress that, oh, I'm going to make these, not assumption, but I'm going to make the statement that all BIPOC are feeling right now. Especially in the past year, mm -hmm. like let's like let's eliminate everybody's feeling COVID and stuff, right? Not to mention the racial inequalities and differences with how people are affected by COVID, yep. racial and socioeconomic. So COVID aside, everybody's feeling that quarantine. Everybody's feeling that, right? Mm -hmm. But with police brutality shit, mm -hmm. with uh, attack heightened attack on on the Asian communities, like. Those two specifically, that's extra added, that's added stress. Yeah. That even if you're not directly related to it, even if you haven't been attacked or, or assaulted or involved in a protest or directly related to some sort of, some form of yeah. racial harassment, whatever, like you're still feeling that weight. Yeah, because you can't because run away from your race. It's exactly. How you you can't run away from that. And that's, yeah. and it's like, it's emotional trauma yeah. and it makes me think of um it makes me think of post-traumatic slave syndrome mm. where black people experience trauma mm -hmm. that is a result of enslavement mm -hmm. while none of us in the u.s in our current like age or year mm -hmm. have experienced enslavement directly yeah. directly or to the degree of but you see it. but you feel that yeah, we because that, that pain yeah. is passed on and you carry it in your dna and it's mm -hmm. it's been studied and it's been seen and that's it's yeah it's the same thing yeah because when you see like when you see black people getting killed on on your phone all the time that's it's used that's the only representation you have of yourself yeah, it's like the only representation of, of black and Asian people in the past is just a year yeah. has been violence yeah. and pain. And to such like drastic yeah. amounts too, because that's what's being and then, like, broadcast and, and in the situation. And it's crazy because we're talking about representation and we're talking about yeah. how important that is, but when the only representation of yourself is yeah. violent and, and painful and harmful you like you feel it you know when you when you know when you you see yourself represented you're like that's me mm -hmm. yeah but when it's it's the same it's feeling like, that's me yeah like that's yeah. me like that could have been my dad who was killed that could have yeah. been my brother that could have been my friend who just got assaulted like mm -hmm. yeah it's the same effect yeah but the content like the content dictates mm -hmm. the the emotional weight of it and i think also that it shifts how bipoc see themselves mm -hmm. in the future like we oh talk yeah about, um like the confidence of P bipoc but then that also like reflects in how they carry themselves and their self-defense mechanisms and yeah. the way that they protect themselves and i know that there's so many stereotypes about like Oh, like black women are like hostile. Black women are like loud and aggressive. Right. Because they freaking have to be. You wonder why. Do you see what black women go through? And 
we, you and I have talked about this before about how generationally anxiety has been passed oh down through years and years of everything and to the point where you feel it physically. Mm-hmm. I know that like for me, when I feel anxious or I'm stressed, I get this terrible nausea in mm-hmm. my stomach. And sometimes it gets to the point where like, I feel like I have to puke. Mm-hmm. And it's like, when I'm anxious or I'm stressed, I just remember over the summer being at home, being like unable to do much, like yeah. feeling like I was in a yeah. situation where my parents were too afraid to let me out of the house yeah. because of what was happening. But seeing my friends out and being like so worried and anxious and stressed, being like, this is my, like, this, what's it's happening? It's my friends. Yeah. And it's just like, and then you're just sitting there and feeling it physically. And I just think just about hold it. how many years this has been passed down. Yeah. Because you live a whole life of just being anxious, being yeah. on your toes, being stressed, having to look behind your shoulder, having right. to think about, and especially BIPOC women. Oh. My God. If you think of people our age. Yes. Um. <laughs> Like, let's talk about the anxiety that is brought up or that our generation experiences because of social media. Mm-hmm. Add on mm-hmm. the like, racial anxiety or racially trauma-triggered anxiety, let's mm-hmm. say. And then overlap social media with racial trauma specifically. Mm-hmm. Like you're saying when you're seeing videos of, of hate crimes... That's an added layer. Mm-hmm. And so even in the 20, 21, 22, whatever years we've been alive, we've been living in a state of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Like our whole lives. Like I remember being eight, listening to the radio about the Iraq war. Mm-hmm. And being like, why are they doing this? The What's year going we were born, on? 9-11. Nine, we yeah. were born. It's just, yeah. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. And I know every generation goes through things like this, but at the same time, it's the technology piece that yeah. just, because not only, it's one thing like when we were kids, like you have radio and you have TV, you can turn that off. Phone, you can turn that off too. But you hear people talking about it, you see it. It's so, it's, you have such a wider reach. Yeah. Because your TV, like, you'll get your local news, whatever. You get some international news, whatever. But that's all pretty censored mm-hmm. on the grand scheme of things. Versus social media now. We're talking about Twitter in our other class. Oh, yeah. The way Twitter works, you see things from across the world in seconds. And it also puts the expectation <coughs> of, like, you need to know what's going on all the yeah. time. And if I turn my phone off, sometimes I'll feel guilty for not mm-hmm. knowing something that happened. Or, like, there like incidences that happen you don't hear about until the next day because you needed to take a break but then you feel bad because you you because you took a break yeah or you you weren't paying attention yeah and it's it's yeah it's perpetuating that that norm of just you your reliance on the technology back to the technology (laughs) technology yeah but something also like is that well, yes, I think it's good that we've normalized mental illness and, mm-hmm. like, having depression, being sad. Mm-hmm. We also need to normalize the getting better part because so much of social media is broadcasting, like, oh, like, when you're depressed and da 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 Right. And, well, yes, it's good to, like, acknowledge that. It's also good to acknowledge the recovery process mm-hmm. and the fact that it takes time and that it's depression isn't just some like idealized concept of like yeah. oh look it's not romanticized it's not it's, yeah. it is definitely romanticized by entertainment yeah and easily i don't often see bipoc advertising their depression or advertising mm-hmm. their mental illness or mm-hmm. their anxiety or the mm-hmm. trauma that they have because they see it enough in yeah. the hate crimes yeah. and in just all yeah. of all of it and now yeah. you always see these conversations like being broadcasted of like BIPOC having to teach white people about Dude. the issue of race. Really? Dude. Really? That's what I want to see on tech. No. And I wanna yeah. I wanted to like jump really quick back to when you were talking about um, feeling guilty for taking a break. Mm-hmm. That is something that I struggle with 
so much. Mm-hmm. And I know you see <laughs> this. Yeah. Because I really yeah. don't let myself take days off. Mm-hmm. And when I do, or when I do take a break from things, you feel guilty. I feel guilty and I feel like I should be doing something. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I've talked about with um, some of my friends at home. Um, and with protesting especially, um, just that we all need to take days off and it's okay to, and just drilling in, like, it's okay to not be at every single event because that's something I struggle with. I felt, I felt, I felt really bad, not bad, but I was really upset that I couldn't be at home when the verdict was announced, um, for Derek Chauvin's trial. Please don't call it George Floyd's trial. George Floyd was not on trial. Please do not call it that. It's Derek Chauvin's trial. Um, but I felt really upset that I couldn't be home. And I also did not feel the same, like, really any big sense of relief yeah. or any, like, sigh or... You weren't able to let it go. I couldn't... Yeah, I didn't feel any sort of release from that. Um, and I talked to one of my friends, and she was like, you need to be proud of yourself. Because we did this over the summer, the hours that we spent on the street, the hours that we spent up checking in on people and and out in the sun and things like that. We did this and you are as much of a part of it as anybody else and you need to be proud of that. And you need to allow yourself space and time to take a break, Mm -hmm. to rest for a little bit because that's what Minneapolis is doing. Mm -hmm. Even though there were shootings happening the same day and the next day and, and days before, like people are still taking time to take a deep breath and take a moment um but i that's something that i find so difficult and i think a lot of it is because of social media because i can so easily log on and see okay but these five things are still happening yeah yeah and because you have access to the exactly but it's also like I'm putting more stress on myself Mm. by not allowing myself to take a break. Mm -hmm. The burnout. The burnout. (laughs) The burnout is so real. We've talked about this so many times. And I, I, oh, this is where I wanted to bring it. And I wanted to bring it back to, like, people talk, like, BIPOC having to teach white people. Yeah. Like, that's something that is so frustrating and is so exhausting because not only do you have to relive your trauma in explaining it, but you can, like... gaslighting Mm -hmm. there's so much that can happen and so much that you can have to that is added on when you're having to re-explain and it's traumatic it's re-traumatizing it is and it's exhausting and especially when you're in an environment that is not one that you're comfortable in it's in classrooms in front of groups to be put on the spot like that very insensitive to the experiences of BIPOC. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Um, professors, other classmates. Yeah. Um, and don't please, please yeah. be it's mindful. Cool. My biggest pet peeve. Be mindful of what people are going, what we're going through. Yeah. And that I'm not the spokesperson and I'm not the dictionary or the encyclopedia for you to look into all things black, all things yeah. mixed, yeah. all things protest, all things whatever I know about or experience and and either way it's not my job to educate you on it and you don't get to use me as your learning tool yeah yeah you don't get to use my pain as your learning tool yeah because it's not yeah we we have talked about this so many times Anna and I have these conversations like on repeat I swear we're just finally putting them but when white people have their aha moment oh good for you I'm glad but I don't need to be there I don't need to be there to see like every person in my classroom have their aha moment when they're juniors or sophomores or freshmen in college when I had to experience it when I was five right and you already know. <laughs> last year I was in a last year I was in a class, Oof. and it was. I'm gonna just say, it was a teaching for social justice class, right? Taught by a white woman, and I. Essentially, we were talking about white privilege, and I was sitting at a table with a bunch of white kids, 
There was maybe uh, one or two other BIPOC in the class at all. Um, and there was <laughs> literally a girl across the table from me was like, I never really thought, because we were talking about the reading. She was like, I never really thought about the fact that I'm white. Like, I know I'm white, but like, until I read this, I didn't realize like, I'm white. I'm white. And the, the frustration and pain and rage and mm. everything mm. that I felt, mm -hmm. because that was one of the biggest slap in the faces that you not like, I'm being forced, not forced, but I'm being forced to sit through people realizing they're white, but in that being further other and being yeah. told you're not white. Mm -hmm. And it's like a reminder of like the differences that like my like you the thing that the thing that really set me off was how comfortably and how easily. Yeah, you just read a book. She was able to just yeah. Oh wait, I'm white. Oh but like my experience with it has with with understanding my race and and coming to what that means on a social and and political level has been so painful. Mm -hmm. And it is for so many BIPOC because it's not something where somebody's just like, even if it's with your parents, it's not something where they're just going to be like, okay, mm -hmm. you're black or mm -hmm. you're Asian or you're Latino so, or Latinx, so it's going to be different. It, a lot of times it comes in the form of, look, you're a black man. You're about to get your driver's license. Mm -hmm. This is what you need to know when the cops pull you over. Mm -hmm. Or you're a black or brown girl. Don't ever walk by yourself. Yep. Always make sure you have somebody with you. If they're white, that's even better. Yeah. If you have a white male with you, yeah. perfect. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. And, and, it, and it was just so frustrating that I have had to be conscious of my race. So yeah. For so long and at the age of like since I don't know when, but some people just get to be like, oh, okay. Yeah. Eighteen years into your life. Yeah. And I think yeah. And it's just like that was triggering, that was so triggering for me. Because it brought up all the times that like people all the all the times that I've experienced some form of racism or all the times that I've been in a classroom and people and my teacher is saying, even like when I'm taught, when I'm learning about race relations and, th and things like that, it brought up all the times where it's like, look, this shit is hard and it hurts and it's painful and it sucks, but you're going to tough it out and we're going to get through this because you need to know this. Because you have to. And it... Like, it just blows my mind how different the experience is mm -hmm. and to have to sit through somebody else just quickly and easily coming to terms with it. And you don't even really have to change your thinking. You don't even really have to change your lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. I want to speak on that like, too because it's crazy when you think about it because you see those moments and you're like, really, that was it? Because exactly. I think back to all the things that I'm still dealing with exactly. now as responses to how I was brought up, to yep. the things that I was hearing, the things I was seeing, the like the stereotypes, the concepts of... The standards of beauty in the United States oh my suck. God. <laughs> they fucking suck. <laughs> and like I still to this day notice habits of mine, bad habits mm -hmm. of mine, like like insecure thoughts that I have yeah. that are responses to how like what I was hearing growing yeah. up for 21 years yeah. hearing oh like you're never going to be considered beautiful because of your eyes you're never going to be considered beautiful because of who you are that you yeah, have no say no control over and then to come and see like white girls or white guys just having these like oh I'm white oh, sure. and still not being affected but it's like I'm always going to be compared to you. Exactly. I'm always, like, the standard view is always going to be in comparison to you. Uh-huh. 
and I still have to deal with it, and I and I see it. Here's the thing: I'm old enough now to see mm-hmm. that it's a response of how I'm like exactly. what I was here growing up. But I can't break it. it because it's because been, it's so ingrained in you. Yes, it's so it's internalized. Really yes, it's so internalized. And it's it's terrible. Like there's days where I feel and I look at myself in the mirror and I feel like shit. Mm-hmm. But you still have to put on a face and go with it because otherwise you're gonna and be, be torn that apart. strong person and, and you're be that be torn apart. whatever because you have to fake it till you make it. You have to fake it till you become it. But some days like it, yeah. guys, like shit. <laughs> right. And I just yeah. Oh, yeah, I think those aha moments. Yeah. So often, like, they're so important. Y'all need to understand what whiteness is, mm-hmm. but you don't need to do it at the expense of a BIPOC mm-hmm. individual. Mm-hmm. You don't need to do it around a BIPOC individual. Yes, and then you don't... It. I don't need to hear it. I don't need to hear about, like, oh, yeah, I realized I was white. Congratulations. You don't need to validate it. Like, oh, thank you for finally catching up. Yeah. It's like, our medal was years of trauma. <laughs> like... Right. Great. Thank you. Yeah. And it's just because it's ultimately so painful. Mm-hmm. It's ultimately so and it painful. it sits with you for your whole life. Exactly. Like it sits with you. And it's not something that you can ever escape because it's been engraved into you. And it's your race is something that is, you can't just get rid of your exterior. Yeah. And to unpack it, you have to, wow. That's old. Wow. This is a completely different conversation. <laughs> but people who think that they're trans race, please. I'm not. sorry. Get out. Like <laughs> no. You cannot go from please being stop. white to black. You cannot please go from being stop. Asian to black unless please you are like stop. born multiracial. You are not trans race. <laughs> Transracial is not. That's a big. whole conversation, and like the because beauty standards are a whole conversation. And I mean, I mean it like. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we might have to do another episode. I mean, next semester. Yeah. We'll think about it. Yeah, next semester. Let us we'll know. Yeah, let us know, you guys. We'll end the discussion here <laughs> yeah. today because we haven't been talking for a while. But let us know mm-hmm. um, if you guys have questions or comments. Or there's things or things like that to talk about. you would like to hear more about. Um, let us know if we should continue these. Yeah, I think um, it'd be cool have some guest speakers, some of our cool. anonymous friends. Maybe. But yeah, <laughs> anonymous friends. But yeah, let us know what you think. Mm-hmm. Um, we love the feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, we appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Yeah, thanks for just hearing us rant about <laughs> different topics. Thank you for joining us on this short little journey that may expand. Yeah. Um, may not. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see where we are next year. Seniors. Oh, wow. Ooh, almost done. <laughs> not really. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And thank you guys. Thank you guys so much. It's been fun, actually. It I has. actually kind of enjoyed this. It has. Thought it'd be weird at first, but you know. Okay. All right. Well, Bye, guys. maybe we'll see you next time. <laughs> maybe we will. Bye.